Thank you, Chris. You may be seated. This past week, around midweek, I saw a news story that really caught my attention. President uh, Zelensky of Ukraine was in the city of Izium, and he was going to uh, meet with the Ukrainian army. That city had been recaptured by the Ukrainian army and had driven the Russians out of occupation. This is happening in other parts of Ukraine, which is really good news. There's still a long way to go, still a lot of hard work for the Ukrainian people to do. But uh, President Zelensky was there, and he was uh, uh, observing a flag-raising ceremony where the, the flag of Ukraine was raised again over that city. And one couple in their 50s, uh, they were interviewed by CNN, and they said, we prayed to God, we prayed to God to be liberated. Can you imagine the joy and the elation that they must have felt as the Ukrainian army entered into that city to reclaim it? Can you imagine what it must have felt like to have been liberated from Russian occupation and then to have this feeling of freedom? We all love to hear that kind of good news. Think with me for a moment about a time when you received really good news. Maybe you received news that you were going to be promoted at your job, or maybe the good news that the offer on the house was accepted, or uh, your house has closed, sold and closed, if you're on the other end of that. Maybe the kids and grandkids are moving back into town, and you hear that really good news. Maybe it's the medical test was negative, and you're going to be okay. The very center of the Christian faith is about good news. Well, today we continue our series uh, called Say What? And in this series, we're taking a look at, for lack of a better term, uh, a few church words. Church words that, that may be known to people who grew up in church, but may be unclear uh, if you didn't. So uh, if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you never really heard the, the true meaning of these words, or, or maybe if you did, uh, you've heard them so often that their definition and their reality and the way they're supposed to impact your life has just sort of uh, kind of gone just uh, around you, if you will. Uh, part of the reason is simply uh, you've just uh, stopped thinking about it because you hear it so much. It becomes so commonplace. Well, either way, it's really good for us to understand how these words and their meaning uh, impact our life. And today the word is the word gospel. Now, when people hear the word gospel, a few thoughts come to mind. Some people uh, may use the word gospel to refer to a type of music, and it certainly does. Uh, some may use the word gospel to emphasize uh, the, the veracity of uh, a, a statement. So I might say, you know, I'm going to tell you the gospel truth. Misha's has the best coffee in Old Town. Some of you may argue with me, but others will say, yeah, that's the gospel truth. It's just somehow a little more true than true, right? Or you'll hear me from time to time simply describe the first four books of the New Testament as the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the word gospel is from the Greek word euangelion. It was actually used in Roman culture before it was used in the Christian context. The word was used to describe good news or glad tidings that would be not just for one group of people, but that would be for everyone. So, for example, when the emperor Augustus was born, they would send messengers out into all the towns and say, we have 
a, the euangelion. We have the good news that is for all the people of the empire. And if you look close enough in the transliterated word there, you can actually see the word angel right there in the middle of the transliterated word, which simply means a messenger of good news. So if you've ever shared the gospel with someone, you're an angel. You're a messenger of good news. You may remember when Jesus was born. Luke tells us that the angel told the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The angel was a messenger of God's good news. And the gospel was the good news of Jesus for everyone. So it's pretty quick definition. I mean, that's the say what. Let's talk about the so what. So what does the gospel mean for us in everyday life? Our text this morning is two short, very power-packed verses that St. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it's actually the the thesis statement of the entire book of Romans. It's found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It reads like this. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, if you like taking notes, we provided a place for you to do so uh, in uh, the handout that you received. And uh, if you want to take those out, feel free to now and take a look at the resources I've provided for you. They are fantastic. They've been really helpful for me. I also want to add uh, a resource by Tim Keller on Romans that is absolutely phenomenal. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at the working of the gospel, the access to the gospel, and then the result of the gospel. Okay, so the working of the gospel, the access to the gospel, and the result of the gospel. Paul writes again, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Christian concept of salvation may be the most partially understood of the Christian doctrines. Most of the time when we hear the term salvation or we hear the term Jesus saves, we may have this idea of being saved for eternity and living in heaven with God, which it certainly means. Salvation doesn't mean any less than living in heaven with God for all eternity, but it means just so much more. So when you take a look at Scripture, for example, in the Bible, salvation is understood as, first of all, salvation from from physical illness. In Matthew 9, 21, for example, the woman who uh, had a, a blood disorder touched Jesus, and Jesus told her her faith healed her. Now, this does not mean that everyone who's a Christian is healed of physical illness. We know that eventually everyone dies, but it does mean that for Christians, that in the fullness of God's time, our bodies will be renewed and recreated and redeemed. We will have a resurrected body, and there's a body-spirit reality to the, to the Christian salvation. So we see salvation from physical illness. We see salvation from danger. 
when Peter was walking on the water and when he started to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, again, we know that we're going to face dangers in this world for the cause of Christ. We're never promised that we're not going to experience danger. But as a Christian, because of the presence of of Christ in our lives, as a Christian, we are saved from being a coward in the face of peril. We're saved from believing that all there is to this life is what happens to us in the here and now. And so we're saved from from peril. We have security of our soul no matter what happens to us. And the great Christian martyrs on whose shoulders we stand, they could face the flames, they could face persecution because they realized this depth of salvation from peril and from danger that no matter what happens to us in this life, God has our soul. Paul wrote to Timothy, we have not been given a spirit of fear. Then there's salvation from being lost. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. This past summer, I had the opportunity to go to Portugal with our son, Alex. And I noticed when we were in Portugal, basically we experienced three different kinds of being lost. So when we were with Israel Quintani, one of the missionaries that that we've worked with there, and Israel was driving us around Portugal in, in ways that I didn't know cars could do and that streets could handle, I thought we were lost. Alex thought we were lost. And truth be known, Israel thought we were lost. The way he kept looking at his GPS and everything. But Israel kept saying he knew where we were. But he clearly didn't. So he was lost and didn't know it. Or he was lost, excuse me, knew it, but didn't admit it. Then there were times Alex and I thought we knew right where we were located. We thought we were found. But we were actually lost. We didn't know where we were. And then there was a time I was walking around by myself in the city of Porto. My phone was not working, and I was lost, and I knew it. I, I, I somehow stumbled on the right place. People are the same way. Life can be full of so many joys, and life can be full of so many really good moments. But life can also be incredibly challenging, perplexing, and at times painful. And there's some people who are going their own way and they don't realize they're lost. They don't. And then there are some people who realize they're lost, but they won't admit they need the help. And there are some people who just say, I, I've got to find my way. They'll admit they're lost. Jesus comes to us and saves us and gives us, frees us from this sense of lostness. He gives us his life, and he shows us the way to deep and abiding joy. And you read through the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus gets really practical with this. Jesus says, you know, if you think you're lost in the way that you think about your relationship with money, here, let me show you how to live in relationship with money. If you think you're lost in the way that you should handle your relationships, here, let me show you how to handle your relationships that will give you life. You think you're lost in 
and how you should live toward God, let me show you how to be authentic and genuine and transparent before God. You think you're lost when it comes to how you deal with anxiety and worry and how it grips you and overcomes you? Let me show you how to deal with anxiety and worry. You think you're lost because you don't have any purpose and meaning in life or you don't think you do? Let me show you and let me fill you with purpose and meaning. You think you're lost because you can't find joy? Let me show you deep and abiding joy. The gospel does not spare us from pain and sorrow, but it gives what we need to live through pain and sorrow. I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said. We're saved from living life on the wrong path. There's salvation from sin's power. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, says it all, don't need to add anything. No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and when you're tempted, he will also provide a way for you to stand up under it. So we're saved from sin's power, and we're saved from sin's penalty. You know, the interesting thing about receiving good news is you really have to, if to, for the good news to sink deeply, you have to have a good grip on the bad news. And the bad news is that as humankind, we have a sin problem. We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's vision, God's desire for our lives. Next week, we're going to talk about why sin needs to be dealt with. But let me just say this for now. We cannot deal with our sin problem on our own. We can't work it off. We can't pay it off. There's nothing we can do. It is a human problem that we can't solve. And the good news is is that God in Christ has solved it for us. We talked last week about how, how Jesus is God's rescue mission. God has solved the problem of sin in Christ when he went to die on the cross for us. Salvation, it is full. It is so much more than heaven one day. You can see why the hymn writer wrote, give the winds a mighty voice because Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free, highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Can't you imagine that hymn writer just thinking about salvation and then writing those words? The access to this incredible salvation is faith. It's faith. Paul says this salvation is for everyone who believes, and it is a righteousness that is by faith. Now, faith is another one of these words that has just multiple and rich applications. So, for example, we'll use the term faith, and we'll say that it means loyalty, to be a faithful friend or faithful spouse, a faithful disciple, is to remain loyal to someone, to be a loyal disciple of Jesus, is to be loyal to Jesus even in the face of the temptation to be ashamed or embarrassed. Faith means belief. It is the conviction that something is true. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, for example, Paul writes, if the resurrection did not occur, if it was not true, then our faith is futile. It is vain and it is in shambles. So faith means belief. 
Faith means the Christian way. Sometimes we'll say, I follow the Christian faith. I've read several articles lately about how one of the great challenges in our culture today is the number of people who actually identify with being an evangelical Christian. They actually wear the label proudly, but they rarely participate in the life of a church, or they actually rarely consider what it means to live like a disciple of Jesus. And so what has happened to that label, evangelical Christian, it has now been shaped in part by other cultural dynamics and other cultural forces other than the life of Jesus. And so it's really important when we say, you know what, I follow the Christian faith. It's really important that we give our heart to understanding what that faith means. It really is important as we talked last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go online to this is what we mean by when we, when we uh, Jesus as the Son of God means Jesus also taught us what it means to live toward God. And so we want to do all we can to understand this faith that Jesus calls us to and not buy a counterfeit version of the faith that somebody who is not even pursuing the life of Christ will ask you to follow. That makes sense. So when we say, I follow the faith, let's make sure we're digging in to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith means full acceptance and absolute trust. Now, when Paul uses this term faith, here's the easy part. He means all of these combined. So faith means believing in something in such a way that you'll, be completely, you'll com- completely stake your life on it. You'll not be ashamed. You'll embrace it, and you'll take it to the very center of your being. You'll believe it in such a way that you'll act upon it. Now, often we see this idea of faith. And the access to the gospel through faith, we sometimes acknowledge it in different stages. L- let me give you an example. Okay, so let's pretend for a minute that, that Jody's back, backpack here is a parachute. So, and you've m- maybe seen this analogy before. So let's say, I see this parachute and I acknowledge it, it's here. So I acknowledge this parachute, high parachute. So many people look at Christianity and they acknowledge Christianity. They acknowledge the presence of faith in this world, okay? So I acknowledge it. It's backpack is here. That is not saving faith. Then I can look at this parachute, and I actually have a little bit of belief, right? I can look at this parachute and think, I believe this parachute is here, and therefore, I believe this parachute will hold me up and keep me from plummeting to my death. I believe it. I believe it'll hold me up, and I believe it'll keep me from plummeting. That's not saving faith. It's not. Then there's trusting faith. It is to trust this parachute in such a way that I strap it on, I go up in a perfectly good airplane, and I jump out of it with this parachute on my back. That, my friends, is saving faith. And that's how you access your salvation. That's how you access the good news of the gospel, is when you take Christ 
you believe in Christ, you believe that Christ will save you from your sins, and you take him into the core of your being, and you take the plunge with him. You say, I'm all in. I'm with you. That's saving faith. It's to take the plunge with him in your career, in your relationships, in your emotional and physical security. It shapes how we believe. It shapes to whom we belong and how we act in the world around us. You know, it's interesting. And I love this example. There's all sorts of people who took the plunge with Jesus in Scripture. And you know what? With the very last bit of his breath, the thief on the cross who died beside Jesus took the plunge with Jesus. Remember me today. Remember me in paradise. He took the plunge with all that he had left. Anybody ever gone skydiving here in the room? A couple of you? Wow, congratulations. Anybody else? None of our military people. Our our Eagle Scout went skydiving, but none of our military people. That's amazing. You'll attest you have a view like none other, right? You have a perspective like none other. Faith changes your perspective. It changes your perspective on life. So the work of the gospel saves us. Access to the gospel is faith. And then the result. In this great statement, Paul uses a third really rich Christian term. And it's, he says the righteousness of God and the righteous will live by faith. Now, in our day, the word righteous has almost gotten a negative connotation. It might mean people who think they're holier than thou or arrogant or whatever. But in order for our great human problem to be solved, we need to be righteous before God. We cannot exist with a holy, pure, and perfect God in a state of unrighteousness, in a state of sin. All that sin that Pastor Brian led us to confess earlier And this gets to the core of what it means to be accepted and approved by God. People have tried since the beginning of humankind to gain God's approval. That's why we have so many different world religions. People want to be approved. Many have thought if they could just do enough of the right things, that somehow God would overlook the wrong things and consider them righteous. But what Paul lays out for us here in this verse is the concept that we can't make ourselves righteous before God. We cannot put ourselves in a state of approval. Our sins need to be dealt with and taken away, and we cannot do that by ourselves. We cannot justify, is another word, ourselves. Let me give you an example. If you made a statement that seems outrageous to me, I'm going to ask you to justify that statement. So, for example, let's say someone came in off the street. And someone said, hey, Pastor Phil, I believe in what you guys are doing through the Common Good Initiative, and I've arranged for $2 million to be deposited in your bank account. It'll be there tomorrow morning. Now, I am going to ask this person, I'm going to thank them a lot at first, okay? I'm going to thank them, thank them, thank them. And then, but I'm going to check. I'm going to want them to justify. I'm going to want some sort of receipt. I'm going to want something. Or I'm going to just be down at the bank the next morning to make sure it went in. So that's when we often talk about justify that. That's what we're, you know, you justify yourself. 
But here the form of the word righteousness always means to declare someone else as righteous. Someone else as justified. It is an action that is done for you by someone else. It'd be like standing before a judge guilty of a crime and then someone arguing on your behalf that you should be innocent and then being declared innocent. God declares us innocent, not because our sin doesn't need to be dealt with, but because Jesus dealt with it. And Jesus settled the score with God. When we trust his work on the cross on our behalf, God declares us righteous before him, and we receive his righteousness, and we receive his glory. And that's what it means to be saved by faith. That's what it means to have Christ's righteousness over us, and we stand before God in all of his glory. I don't know about you, but that is really good news. So the gospel means salvation in all of its fullness. It's for us when we come to Christ in faith. And it sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin and makes us one with a just and holy God. That's good news for all the people. Let me ask you a few questions. Have you received the salvation of Jesus in your life? Have you? If not, do you know how? And if you don't know how, let me invite you to after our benediction this morning, uh, Pastor Brian's going to be at the cross. And if you'd like to talk to him about salvation and how you've become a Christian, let me invite you to do that. Have you placed trusting faith in Jesus? Have you taken the plunge with Jesus? Are you ready to stand before God, bask and bathe in the righteousness of Jesus? Questions. The most important questions you'll consider in your life journey. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that he gives us, the fullness of it, that God, he gives us salvation for life here today and and in eternity with you in glory. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, that, that you have called us to a place of faith. And Lord, we know that there's nothing we can do to earn this salvation, to work for it, to pay for it. There's nothing except to fall into you in faith. And so I pray for each person here in this room, each person who is listening and watching online today, God, will you move in our hearts through your Holy Spirit? Will you speak to us in such a way? Give us all that we need to respond to you in faith. Thank you, God, for your gracious, good salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.